Hello and welcome to another podcast episode. Uh, email me if you've got any ideas, suggestions, comments, rude or otherwise. <laughs> Love to hear from you. Raiserants at protonmail.com or one word, raiserants at protonmail.com. And I do try to answer all emails. Cars back in the 50s and 1960s, even 70s and 80s. As I said in the last midweek message, my first car was a 1954 Hillman Minx. 54, can you believe it? We're now, what, 2021? It was manufactured when I was three years old, because I was born in 51 and the car was made in 54. So when I was three years old, that Hillman Minx was in a showroom somewhere. That's quite amazing to think that, isn't it? What I liked about the Hillman Minx, I must admit, I didn't particularly like the car. It was a huge old thing. Do you know, in those days, the bodywork was really thick. You know, the steel, that it's all the steel plate or whatever, the steel panels were really thick. If you, you couldn't lean on them and dent them. You, you go out to your car now. Well, not now because you're listening to me in a minute. Well, not in a minute because you're listening to me. Later on, go out to your car and lean on the bonnet. Put your hand on the bonnet and lean on the bonnet or, or just against the door panel. It'll go in. It moves. It flexes, doesn't it? It's that thin that it will flex. With the older cars, you couldn't do that. You leaned on the bonnet. You could stand on the bonnet. You could stand on the roof. It wouldn't buckle. They were really thick. But of course, that meant that they were really heavy. The whole car was really, really heavy. Now, the modern cars, obviously, they're a lot lighter. They haven't got even the... Do you remember the big steel chromium plated bumpers? I mean, have you ever taken one of those off an old car? I have. And they weigh a tonne. So you've got two big bumpers, all this heavy steel and everything. The whole car really did weigh a lot. Now, what I was going to say was what I liked about the car, the gear stick, what do you call it in America? The, the stick, shift stick or something on the floor, that was up on the steering column. And it was brilliant up there. Have you ever driven a car with uh, the gear change up on the column, the steering column? Absolutely brilliant because it leaves the floor free. There's nothing between the passenger side and the driver side in the middle, there's nothing. And the car had a bench seat, a seat right the way across, like a sofa. <laughs> it was like a sofa because I covered it in fur. Well, you did things like that in those days when you were young. Well, I did. Perhaps you didn't. I'm sure you did. And it was like sitting on a sofa and you could just sit back and relax, drive along. Haven't got to keep reaching down to the floor to change gear. Another car I had was a Morris Oxford and that was automatic. And instead of, you know, the, the big shift thing where it says park, neutral, drive and all that reverse on the floor, that big sort of T-shaped lever, it didn't have that. There was a little stick on the steering column, a bit like an indicator thing. And on there, it just said park, neutral, drive, reverse, just on there. So again, there was nothing on the floor, which was absolutely brilliant. I don't know why they don't do that these days. I think some cars, some automatic cars, they don't have that big uh, selector thing in the middle on the floor, do they? They do have the stick on the steering wheel. I don't know why they have the big stick on the floor. Why do that? There must be some reason. I must try and find out. There's got to be a reason for it, that huge lever in the middle. Another thing I like about the older cars, you didn't have... I don't know, what is it? These days, you, you sit in the driver's side or the passenger side and you're in a hole. You know, the footwell, as they call it, 
well, that's where your legs go. You're in a hole, sort of slide into. I don't get that. I like it all open, all under the dashboard. It used to be all open. And as I've, com- I was going to say, moaned about, <laughs> I never moan, do I? As I've mentioned, not complained or moaned, I've mentioned many times in the past that there's nowhere to put anything in a car. Imagine, at a modern car, I mean. Okay, imagine you've just popped to the library. You've got your wife in the car with you. She's on the passenger seat. You've got your six kids or 10 kids on the back seat. <laughs> okay, 2.4 children on the back seat. You've come out of the library, you've got three or four books. You get into the car, right? Where are you going to put the books? You want to put the seatbelt on and start the engine. Where do you put the books? Well, you could hand them to your wife or your husband, depending on which way around you are. But he or she might be reading the paper or on a mobile phone or something. You don't want to give them to the kids in the back because they're doing whatever they're doing. Where do you put the books? In, in the door panel, there's a kind of plastic pocket whole thing that isn't much good for anything more than rubbish. There's a kind of glove box thing, which is all but useless in most cars and full of rubbish again. Where do you put your books? On the floor. We can't put them on the floor, the driver's side, because you get them under the pedals and door sorts. Put them on the floor where the wife's or husband's feet are. The whole thing is hopeless. The design of modern cars these days, you know, it really is rubbish. Apart from books, I mean, this is a different thing. If you're a taxi or a radio amateur like me, where do I put my radios? Where does a taxi driver put his, well, they don't have radios anymore, but where's he put his meter? You know, where it says sort of 10 pounds a mile. You drive down the road and it already says 15 quid on the thing. (laughs) No, sorry, all taxi drivers, I know you're not that expensive. Not yet anyway. But again, where do you put stuff? It's just hopeless. In the old days, under the dashboard, it was all free, all clear. You know, you could just sort of, we could lay down there. You could have a kip on the floor, (laughs) as long as you're out of the way of the pedals. The design then, it was just so much better. On the back, you know, between the back seat and the, the rear window, there was a parcel shelf there. What we used to do was make big holes in that, get a saw and cut out holes for a couple of big speakers, six or eight inch speakers. So your radio sounded really good. Medium wave radio, of course, didn't have FM in those days, AM radio. And if you were into electronics at all, you might build an amplifier, transistor amplifier. Brilliant. So you got some bass. The whole, the boot or the trunk was was the speaker cabinet. Boom, boom, boom. You got some bass. Excellent. Talking of where to put things, we, my wife and I took some books and a bunch of flowers around to my mum's the other day because uh, we're allowed in now with the lockdown. You can go in and see people. And uh, my wife was driving because I was talking on my little walkie-talkie, you know, amateur radio thing. As she got into the car, she passed me about six books, which were for my mum, and then a bunch of flowers. And I'm I'm looking around. I'm saying to the chap on the radio, hang on a minute. I've got a problem. Houston, we got a problem. And I'm looking around. I said to her, where am I going to put these? I had to put the flowers on the floor and the books on the floor. It was all hopeless. Honestly, I'd love to get hold of some of these car designers and say, what do you think you're doing? What's the matter with your brain, you know? You've got something wrong with you. Absolutely ridiculous. You can't... Oh, the dashboard. I don't know what's happened to our dashboard. The windscreen goes forward so much. You can't reach it. If you lean forward, you can't reach the bottom of the windscreen. 
because it all goes so far back or forward, I suppose, if you look in that way. It all goes so far forward, you can't reach down there. And if you did put anything down there, like a book or something, it would be sliding back and forth around the corners. We go, don't, you know, as you, as you go around corners. There is nowhere to put anything. Anyway, that's enough of that. That's enough of nowhere to put anything. I hate modern cars, all of them. So I go back to the good old-fashioned cars. Because in the 50s, cars were pretty rare. Well, not rare, but there weren't that many around. You know, not every family had a car. These days, families have got four or five cars, or even 10 or 12. Well, not quite. But back then, the roads were empty. I, I know it's no good saying, oh, the roads were empty back then. It was a, a pleasure to drive. Now it's a nightmare. Now, I know that. I know I'm not saying that. But it was nice that the not everyone had a car. It was nice that the roads were not so jam-packed as they are now. And, of course, the speeds were a lot lower. You know, people didn't race around as they do these days. I remember my old Hillman Minx. It did. I actually got 75 miles an hour out of it once, downhill. And I don't think it liked it at all, because after that, it kept burning oil. I had to put more oil in the thing than I did petrol. So I don't think it liked it. I think cars back then, they were okay cruising at sort of 50-ish. Much more than that. Or, or one car I had, uh, an MG Magnet, the Farina-style Magnet, that would cruise quite well at 80. Um, I mean, that was a 1600 twin SU carbs and all that gear. You know, it was really nice. That was, I think that was the best car I've ever had. I forget what year. It, was it 64, I think, 1964? But that was, that was a lovely car. That had leather seats, I think what they called bucket seat. Was it bucket seats? Yes, they were, weren't they? So I don't know why the term bucket seats came in. Anyway, leather seats, a walnut wooden dashboard. Oh, beautiful. Should see the dashboard lit up at night. It was green. The car was Connaught green and all the lighting inside was green. It looked lovely. Chromium plated gear stick, uh, walnut dash, leather seats. The carpet, the thick pile carpet. You know, it's like one you put in your lounge. Not in, in your car. It was lovely, a lovely car. Everything was chromium plated as they did in those days. Now it's, it's plastic, <laughs> plastic plated rubbish. I don't know what a beautiful car that was. I was proud of that. Back in those days, I don't think it's the case now. Back then, people were proud of their cars. They were pleased with their car. You know, they'd look after their car in as much, well, I say look after it, in as much as wash and polish it every weekend, you know, vacuum it out, clean it all up, keep it nice. Whereas these days, I don't think a car is something looked upon as to be proud of. It gets me from A to B. That's all it is. It's a, a means of transport, a mode of transport, a necessary evil. Whereas back then, especially for youngsters that were getting their first car, it was, well, it was fantastic. You know, you, you were you were mobile, you had transport, you could go where you like. You didn't have to ask your parents for a lift. You didn't have to get the bus or a train or a taxi. It was brilliant. And of course, you could take girls out. No, I mustn't go back to girls. Every episode, we go back to girls, don't we? Well, I do. <laughs> no, it was great. The first car, then you get a girlfriend, you could take her to places. <laughs> you know, you could, where do you want to go tonight? Let's go up the woods. Let's go up the downs. Let's go out to the countryside. Let's go up Lover's Lane. Oh, yeah, but I wanted to see that film. No, no, you don't want to see that film. Let's go up Lover's Lane. <laughs> Happy days.
they were happy days. They were great. I remember I fitted a car radio. Oh, I've got to tell you this. The Hillman Minx, it didn't have a car radio. They didn't in those days. They didn't have a car radio. That was an optional extra. Can you believe that? An optional extra. You go to the showroom. I'd like that new car. Certainly so. Would you like a radio fitted? Yeah, I'll have a radio. Then they had to fit the aerial on the wing, didn't they? Drill a hole, fit the aerial on the wing, the telescopic aerial, and fit the speaker somewhere. It was an optional extra. And you might think, well, that's dreadful. Well, this is even more dreadful. A heater was an optional extra. Can you believe that? You buy a new car. Would you like a heater fitted, sir? It's another 50 quid or whatever. I don't know how much it was. Yes, I'll have a heater because it's going to be cold in the winter. And I'll have a radio because it's going to be quiet. I was going to say when I'm stuck in a traffic jam, but there were no traffic jams then. But how about that? A heater was an optional extra. I went along to the car dump and I got a heater out of an old Hillman Minx, same model and year as mine. And the thing is, to fit the heater, I had to rip half the dashboard out to get this heater out. So to fit it in my car, again, I've got to take half the dashboard out. And I thought, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. You had to put rubber hoses through to the engine under the under the bonnet, under the hood. Anyway, what I did, I put, <laughs> I put this heater on the parcel shelf. Passenger side, I just put it on the shelf under the dashboard. A couple of hoses going back to the engine compartment for the water supply and um, 12 volts. Well, I had a switch on the dashboard, 12 volt fan on and off. And do you know what they had? If you had a heater in your car in those days, how did you turn the heat on and off? You won't believe this. If you're a youngster, you won't believe it. I mean, these days there's a control on the dash, isn't there? You know, sort of hot, medium, cold. You had to open the bonnet and there's a water tap. (laughs) Seriously, there's a water tap and you had to turn it on or off turn it on so the hot water would flow through the the heater or turn it off in the summer. Can you believe that? I mean, (laughs) when you think back, it's all so primitive, isn't it? But it all worked. My heater, because the trouble is with my heater, being on the parcel shelf, if I had a passenger uh, sitting there, I was going to say she. Why would it be she? Well, it normally was. She would get blasted with heat, (laughs) you know, kind of in in her front, blasted with heat. And the rest of the the rest of the cars cold. I don't know. I think eventually I jammed it under the parcel shelf. Yes, I did. I jammed it under there, sort of passenger footwell at the back. So it, it sort of warmed the car. But uh, you, can you believe that? The heater and the radio, they were optional extras. Talking of having to go under the bonnet or under the hood. In the winter, there was a like a blind that you'd pull up. You open the bonnet. And where the radiator is in front of it, there's a blind that you would pull up. So the radiator doesn't get the full blast of the cold air. It would still get some air to cool the water in the radiator. And the, but you had to pull this blind up, you know, summer or winter. And there was another thing, the air intake. I mean, all this isn't heard of in modern cars. The air intake to the carburetor in the winter, it fo- the pipe folded down. So it was just above the exhaust manifold. So it's getting warm air. And in the summer, you it twists 90 degrees. So it's away from the <laughs> away from the exhaust manifold and getting cooler air because it's summer. All these things they thought of. It's quite incredible. Of course, later cars, they had levers and things under the dashboard. You know, summer, winter and stuff, which operated the blind for the radiator and the 
you know, the inlet thing and <laughs> all this. Quite quite amazing, actually. But what you could do, what I love doing, because I liked electronics, you could add things. You know, you could put uh, another radio in the car, a better radio, a bigger one, and you could add an amplifier. You could put all sorts. I put in um, what they call a rotary transformer, um, and it converts 12 volts to 230 volts for your, your shaver. And it was absolutely brilliant. I could plug my shaver. I had a, a socket on the dashboard, and I'd sit there in a, you know, perhaps at the crossing gates or wherever I was, and I'd be shaving. Coily lead plugged into the dashboard. This is before battery shavers, you know, and I'm sitting there having a shave at the crossing gates, waiting for the train. And of course, people would look. You'd see people looking. How's he shaving in his car? How's he plugged that in then? Where's the mains electricity supply? That was brilliant fun. And in the Hillman Minx, the interior light, it wasn't very good. You know, it was a bit dim. So I got a two-foot, a two-foot fluorescent light fitting. You know the strip tubes, the fluorescent light tubes that like you have in your kitchen, set there four or five feet. This was a two-foot fitting I put in place of the, the light in the sort of centre of the roof. So when you open the door, <laughs> this strip light, came, this two-foot strip light came on, and the car was well, it was like daylight. It was better than daylight in there. But you could do all that sort of thing because you could get to the wiring. There were places to put things, you know, you could do things. You could bring 12-volt leads from under the bonnet through the bulkhead into the car. These days you can't do anything. Who was it that, um, oh dear, someone, I apologise, I forget who it was. He said, these days, if you open the, the bonnet on the car, it looks like a load of plastic suitcases. It does. You know, everything is in sort of plastic, grey plastic boxes. Looks like little suitcases. You can't see any wiring. Where are the spark plugs? Where's the HT leads? They're all hidden away. You can barely see the uh, the alternator. Oh, I tell, I've got to tell you this. I just go back to modern cars as much as I hate them. How about this? My daughter, a couple of years ago, oil light came on in her little car. And I won't say what make it is. I hate that make. <laughs> oil light came on. She went to the garage and they said, oh, you're probably low on oil. Have you checked it? Oh, no, I haven't. Anyway, it, she wasn't low on oil. There's a, a kind of mesh filter, instead of the ordinary oil filter, apparently in the sump somewhere, there's this wire mesh, a bit like a big Brillo pad. And it was all clogged up and choked up. She bought the car new. It wasn't that old. Uh, how, I, I can't remember dates. So they redid all this mesh. They washed it all out. This was two years ago. Recently, a couple of weeks back, oil light came on, went to the garage. What's going on? There's all bits in the oil. There's all bits in this mesh. They had to take it all out again. And to get to this damn mesh, you've got to take the engine out. How about that? Take the engine out. I mean, it's ridiculous, isn't it? I won't mention the make, much as I'd like to. Do you know what it was? The cam belt, right? This will make you laugh. The cam belt runs through the oil. Apparently, it's some eco-friendly. How that is eco-friendly, I've no idea. The cam belt runs through oil engine oil. And as the cam belt over the years breaks up, which they do, bits come off it, it clogs up the filter and all the oil oilways and uh, channels and stuff. Bits of cam belt clogging everything up. Now, what price did she say for a new cam belt? I can't remember. I think it was a thousand pounds. I mean, can you know, come on, a thousand pounds. Apparently there's a modification that they can do on this particular engine where 
they put a, a chain drive back on it, you know, for the camshaft. Instead of a cam belt, it's a chain. But I think that costs a fortune. Then it won't happen again, of course. But have you ever heard of anything so ridiculous as running a cam belt through the engine oil, through the sump or wherever it is? Oh, anyway, she's had all sorts of... She keeps paying out with this car. She had a battery fitted recently, £200. I said to her, what? How much? You're having a laugh, aren't you? <laughs> 200 Good grief. Oh, there's, there's some eco. Eco? I don't want an eco battery. I just want a battery. As I said earlier, cars these days, it's nothing to be proud of. It's transport, isn't it? I mean, I must admit, I don't like our car. My wife loves it. I don't like it at all. I don't like any modern cars. And I don't know many people that do. It's just, oh, the car. Oh, I better clean the car. Oh, the car wants more petrol. You know, the car needs servicing. Oh, here we go. It needs servicing. That's five or six hundred quid, I bet. That's the way it is now. Whereas in the old days, people were proud. You get a new car. When I say new, perhaps a second-hand car. You'd show your friends and neighbours. Neighbours would come out. and Oh, you've got a new car. Oh, that's nice. And you'd show them around it. How much was that? You know, it was something to be interested in, something to be proud of. Now, it's you've got a new car. Blimey, more money. How many thousands did they rob you for that? <laughs> and of course, another thing people do these days, we did have higher purchase HP back in those days. In fact, I bought my um, MG Magnet. It was £165. <laughs> £165. You wouldn't even get a tyre for that these days. And I had it on HP. I had to have a guarantor. My father was the guarantor for the case I didn't pay the, the payments. But these days, I've seen adverts. This car, only £200 a month. Think, what, what's that? What's £200 a month? That's what you've got to pay. That's the kind of, is it not lease, is it, when you're buying it? I don't know. Then there's these, what are these balloon payments? I think you keep paying for, <laughs> this is funny. You keep paying for the car, like £200 every month. At the end of it, it's not your car. Well, how does that work? I mean, I know roughly how it works, but... What what sort of, what sort of setup is that? You pay out two hundred quid a month, and at the end of it all, it's not your car. A lot of people these days they they lease cars, don't they? So it's never their car. You have a brand new car, and you pay your few hundred a month, whatever it is. Then after three years, you change it. So you sort of part exchange or whatever they do, as the warranty runs out at three years, and then you get another new car. So you've got a brand new car every three years and you never own a car. You just continually pay out. Whereas back in the good old days, you buy a car, you look after. I mean, you, this is why people don't look after them, I suppose. They don't care, do they? It's, oh, it's a new car. It's all under warranty. And just as the warranty is about to run out, they trade it in and get another brand new car. It just, I don't know, it just goes against the grain for me. I would get a car and I'd modify it. I'd add things to it, improve it. I, I, you can't do anything these days, can you? Such a shame. There we are. So what are your thoughts about old cars? I've got some emails here. Hang on, let me have a look through. One from Paul here. Yeah, Paul says that uh, his, his cars that he used to have in the past didn't chop and change every few years. You kept a car for a long time. He said he had one car, just reading this, 18 years, which is what you did, 18 years. I don't think a car would last that long these days, would it? No, they do. I know they do. There are some older ones on the road. But of course, the, the government or whoever are trying to get the older cars off the roads, aren't they? 
you know, because of emissions. Oh, it failed the emission test. That's it, up the scrap heap. Whereas in those days, <laughs> I remember um, this chap had a van and all the fumes from the engine would come up, up under the dashboard. It was a Morris 1000 van and all these stenching fumes because it burnt oil. It was really clapped out and it would all come up under the dashboard and you're breathing this in. And even in the winter, you had to have the windows open, passenger and uh, driver's window wide open because of this smell. You breathe that in, it's highly poisonous. Apparently, uh, sump, you know, oil sump fumes are the worst fumes there are. I don't know why. I've read that somewhere years ago. And you got all this, you could see it, smoke coming in under the dashboard, not exhaust. It was oil, burning oil, which would come out of the oil filler hole on top of the rocker cover. And what he did, he got a, a vacuum cleaner hose, right, stuffed it over the, you know, took the oil filler cap off, taped this hose there, and then ran the hose down to under under the engine, you know, just above the road. So all the fumes would go down there. The thing was so clapped out. It was, I don't know. But you did that, <laughs> you did that sort of thing in those days. Things were taped up. The exhaust pipe would fall off. So, you know, you'd get some rope and tie it up underneath. Um, you could do all sorts of things like that. And of course, then they brought in the MOT every year. So, you know, they wouldn't pass your your car if you got the exhaust pipe tied on with a piece of rope. That would be a fail. Another one here from Frank. Uh, he's saying basically what I've been saying, that cars back then, you looked after them and they had style and character, as he's put it. They did. Your car it had character. It certainly had style. They all looked different didn't they? All cars look different. These days, if you look out of the window up and down the street or when you're driving along, have a look. You wouldn't say, oh, look, that's a so-and-so Model X. Oh, look, there's a Model XYZ over there. That's a Ford so-and-so. There's a Vauxhall so-and-so because they all look the same. You haven't got a clue. Well, I haven't. I've got a clue what's what. Whereas back then, you would say that's a Hillman Minx. You know, that's a Rover. That's an MG. That's a Morris Oxford. You, you know, a Morris 1000, they were all different. Uh, an Austin 1100, a Mini, they were all different and they stood out a mile. They had their own style and their own character. I know I've moaned, no, I don't moan, do I? I've, I've mentioned I've mentioned this before about the grey plastic dashboard. Everything, you go and get in your car, well, not now because you're busy, but later go and sit in your car. If it's anything like mine and almost every other car on the road, you've got a grey plastic dashboard. Everything is grey plastic. It's dull. It's drab, isn't it? There's no style. There's no character. We're doomed. <laughs> no, but it is. We're doomed, aren't we? In the old days, you go into a car showroom and you look at the new cars, all shiny. They're different. They look lovely. All the chrome was, of course, you're not allowed to have chrome now. Chromium plating has been outlawed. It's now, <laughs> it's now plastic. Oh dear, bring back the old days. And we had red phone boxes when I was a boy. Now in last week's, uh, last Wednesday's, uh, yeah, last Wednesday's midweek message, I mentioned uh, being politically correct, or if you're anything like me, not politically correct. Do you remember I mentioned plumbers? A plumber, he'd, he'd look at your toilet system and he'd say, oh, your ball cock's gone. <laughs> your ball valve needs replacing or your stop cock's up the wall. You can't say that now. They've changed it. Oh, another thing I just, I've just thought of, you go to the doctor, you'd have a, an injection or a blood test, and the nurse would say, 
you just feel a little prick. They don't say that anymore. They just feel a little scratch. Well, you don't feel a little scratch. It's not a scratch. A scratch is different to a prick. If you stick a pin in your hand, you can feel a prick. If you run the pin across your hand, you feel a scratch. Anyway, apparently it's not nice to say you feel a little prick. Now, going back to the plumber, I don't know what they call them now. I think stopcock has been thrown out, which is not a very nice term. Uh, your ball valve cock, or whatever it's called, your ball cock, that's gone. Now, I was all this has come about because I was talking to a friend of mine some time ago about the old cars, and he said, oh, I had a bit of a problem uh, with one of my cars. The master brake cylinder leaked, and the brakes went. The master cylinder on each wheel is a slave cylinder. And this other chap we were with, he said, hey, hang on, hang on, master, slave, you can't say that these days, can you? And I thought, he's, he's right. He's right with all this, all these people taking offence at things. Everything has got to change, isn't it? You can't say that your brake system's got a master cylinder and four slave cylinders. So <laughs> everything's changed. And I did write down a few other examples of that, but I've lost a bit of paper, as usual. But having such a good memory, not. I, I've remembered one. Apparently, estate agents now, you know, in America, they, was it real estate? Here they're called estate agents. They sell you houses and rip you off, stuff like that. What they do is they'd say, this is the master bedroom, which meant the main bedroom, like the largest bedroom where the, now careful here, <clears throat> husband and wife or person and partner would be. What are they called now? What are two people together? The people, the humans. Yes, the main humans, that would be their bedroom. You can't call it, now the estate agents aren't calling it the master bedroom anymore because it's, <laughs> it implies it belongs to the master of the house. It doesn't mean that at all, does it? Master means the main bedroom. Anyway, estate agents have thrown that one out. And how about this one? Right, if you're, now I've got to be very careful. If you are a lady and you have a baby, you can breastfeed your baby. Not anymore. You chest feed the baby. <laughs> chest feed. Uh, I better stop here because I'm going to get into trouble. But I mean, dear, what, what are we doing? What is the world coming to? Won't be a minute. I'm just going to chest feed the baby. <laughs> oh, dear. I don't know. So a few years ago, our government said, all buy diesel cars, okay? We're going to make them cheap. We'll make the diesel fuel cheap. All buy diesel cars. So we did. We bought a, a Citroen Berlingo, which was great. I tell you what, it had a shelf above the windscreen where I could put things. You could put a radio up there. You could put all sorts. If you'd gone to the library and got some books, you could put them on the shelf. It really was a good car and they're still around. I, I do regret selling that car, actually. Chap I sold it to. First of all, he smashed the side of it in. He, I don't know what he did, drove into something. And then he phoned me. He said, this was a couple of months after he'd had the car. He said, the gearbox has blown up. I said, what do you mean the gearbox has blown up? What have you done? Oh, I know, it's in the garage. And uh, anyway, a few days later, he rang me again. Oh, the gearbox hasn't blown up. He said, the, uh, the thrust bearing. Can you say that? Am I allowed to say thrust bearing? Good grief, we'll be in trouble. The thrust bearing, you're on the clutch. We probably don't know. Well, you probably do. Why am I saying you probably don't? That's rude, isn't it? Of course you know what a thrust bearing is. What he did, he used to ride the clutch. And that's going along, driving along with your foot resting on the clutch pedal. 
Now, I know in America, I know you lot all have automatic cars, don't you? You don't have a clutch and all that. Anyway, here we have cars with a clutch. You allowed to say clutch? Yeah, that's safe. And he'd rest his foot on the clutch and the pressure was slightly on the thrust bearing, which would then get hot and sort of disintegrate and wreck itself. And then the whole thing's wrecked. So that's all it was. I had that car, I think it was 12, 14 years and it was always brilliant. Hardly any trouble with it till he got hold of it. Good grief, that was the end of that. I think in the end, he gave it away and someone did it up. Apparently, it's still on the road. Now, I forget what I was going to say. What was I talking about? Remind me. Oh, that's right. Thanks. Yeah, diesel. So everyone went and bought diesel cars. Then the government said, a few years later, oh, you don't want diesel. Oh, that's rubbish. They're all bad. They all stink and stuff like that. We put the price of diesel up. So, you know, to discourage people from having diesel cars. Well, they told us to all buy diesel. Anyway, we sold that. That was the end of that. We've now got petrol. But you never know what to do with cars. I did go for a a period of time, quite a few years ago, for a couple of years, I didn't have a car. I got fed up with them all. I didn't have a car. I thought, I don't need it. I work from home. I can go down the shops. I can walk down the pub. I don't need a car. And, you know, it was lovely. It really was nice. People say, oh, I've got the MOT due. Oh, the car insurance is due. Oh, dear, tax runs out next month. And I just grin. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't have to pay any of that. <laughs> I didn't have a car. But of course, you you know, you have to have a car, really. I mean, now things are different. I mean, I'm going back decades when I didn't have the car. But nowadays, you've got to have a car, unfortunately. But there are so many on the roads. What are we going to do? What's going to happen? when we get more and more cars. I mean, they're producing, how many they're manufacturing a year? How many millions? And we've got more and more cars on the road. What's going to happen in the end? We can't just keep building new roads, keep building new cars. Where are we going to put them all? I did hear, talking of aeroplanes, that if all the jets in the air all landed at the same time somewhere, there's not enough room on the ground for all of them. Have you heard that? I don't know whether that's true. It probably is, actually. There aren't enough airports with enough space all around the world for all the aeroplanes to be landed at once. So <laughs> they, they go on the sort of premise. Is that the word? What's premise mean? I don't know. That uh, at any given time, there's going to be X amount of aeroplanes in the air. So if they're all grounded at once, there's no room for them. I don't know where they would put them. I don't know whether that's true or not. It probably is. Have you seen these so-called e-scooters flying about, electric scooters? They really do whiz around. Apparently, they were saying on the radio the other day that it's not legal to drive them, or do you drive them? I suppose you do, stand on them uh, along the roads or pavements because it's a moving, what is it, a a self-powered vehicle. It must have road tax and insurance. So uh, apparently some accidents have been caused because they really do whiz along. I don't know how fast, but uh, the ones I've seen, they're certainly doing 20 miles an hour, if not more. So you crash into someone or have an accident. Well, there's no insurance. You haven't paid your road tax. So I don't know what's going to happen there, which reminds me. Do you remember? Now, now you've got to be old to remember this. Go back to the 50s. Do you remember Ordinary Bicycle? with a little petrol engine in the back wheel. I forget what they were called. A little petrol engine. Apparently, the piston was sort of the size of a cotton reel. And these these bikes would go... Putt along. I don't know what noise they made. I can't do sound effects. Du, 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 du. They'd putt along <laughs> the roads. 
I suppose they had to have a tax disc. We don't have tax discs anymore, do we? So I do remember those. Of course, now the modern equivalent is the electric bicycle, and they really do whiz along some of them. You could also buy a little petrol engine that you put, was on the front or the back of the bike, can't remember, and there'd be two rubber wheels that would go either side of the tyre and drive the wheel. you turn the wheel. So you fitted the <laughs> petrol engine on your bike and it, the rubber wheels turn the big wheel and, and you whiz along like that. I remember seeing those around. Good, I'm showing my age now, aren't I? I really am. Then there were mopeds. Do you remember when mopeds came in? They were good. I mean, they must have been 50s, wasn't they? I remember the police used mopeds at one stage uh, before they went over to motorbikes. Mopeds were good because they were very cheap to run. I never had one, but presumably cheap to insure. Um, obviously, petrol, you know, <laughs> you put a gallon of petrol in, it's going to take you for miles. But uh, yeah, they were good at runabout things, mopeds. Of course, down in the Mediterranean countries, they use mopeds a lot, don't they? And scooters. I suppose with that sort of weather, you know, you don't get a lot of rain. You can whip around on your scooter or moped. Um, I had a Lambretta. I, I wasn't, you know, these mods and rockers. I wasn't a mod or a rocker. All it was, I got to 16 and a friend of mine was selling a, a Lambretta. And I said, oh, I'll buy that. I think it was 20 pounds, <laughs> 20 quid. And I bought this Lambretta. Was it LDI or I can't remember, 50cc? Um, yeah, I wasn't. I didn't choose that over a motorbike. Had a motorbike come along, I would have bought that. But I wish I had, actually. Motorbikes were a lot better because I remember going along the main road, the A27, and I was next to my friend. He had a motorbike and I had this scooter thing. And my two-stroke engine was sort of going flat out. And his motorbike engine, being a four-stroke, it was just going doof, 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 doof. And I thought, I wish I hadn't got a scooter. I wish I'd got a motorbike. They were so much better. Well, they were more manly. For, oh, no, hang on, I can't say that. <laughs> of course I can say that. It, it was more of a man's bike, wasn't it? The scooter. Now, if I say a scooter was for, for wimps, <laughs> I get into trouble. But um, do you remember the mods and rockers at Brighton? Because I'm only, what, 10 miles west of Brighton. And I mean, I never went over there, but I do remember it all on the TV thinking, oh, look, that's only up the road in Brighton. I've seen all the all the scooters come down the, uh, what's it, the A23, A24 from London and wherever, and the motorbikes all piling into Brighton. Yeah, those were the days. I mean, they had fights, didn't they? I don't know what they had fights for. They all just would meet up and have fights, uh, which was never my thing. I, I can't be doing with fights. I mean, what do you want to go fighting for when when the pubs are open? And there's girls around. Yeah, you're a teenager, right? The pub's open and there's girls around. What do you want to go to Brighton for and have a punch up? I never did understand that. No, I didn't see the point in fighting, you know, when there's, as I say, when there's girls around and alcohol. People have said to me over the years, you know, back in the 60s, did you do drugs? No, I didn't do drugs. I never saw the point. You know, I, I didn't see the need. I didn't feel the need. I smoked the old cannabis, you know, cigarette, see what it was like. But uh, that was about it. Uh, this friend of mine, we, we smoked these joints in this pub and uh, we started laughing. I mean, in those days, you could smoke it in the pub. No one seemed to bother. And we started laughing uncontrollably. We're both sitting at this table and we didn't know what we were laughing about, but we just couldn't stop for about 20 minutes. People kept looking over. <laughs> they could probably smell the stuff, but um, 
that was the only only thing I really did. I didn't do any other drugs. I didn't feel the need to. I I had a a happy enough time without having to try and find some other happy state or whatever it is. So there we are. Nothing to do with drugs or cars, but uh, went to Amberley Museum yesterday, Amberley Working Museum, just north of Arundel in West Sussex. You might know where that is. And that was a good day out. First time this year we're members of the museum. We go there, well, probably at least once a month, if not twice a month during the summer. Of course, last summer we didn't go there at all, which was a bit of a shame what with COVID and stuff. But uh, yeah, nice day out. And the weather wasn't too bad. I shouldn't talk about weather, should I? But... Uh, where are we? Coming in this week, I think, before the weekend, because you're, you're going to hear this on Sunday. Coming in, is it Friday? We've got some uh, severe winds coming in, gale force winds. Now, on this Saturday, that'll be yesterday, if you're, <laughs> if you're listening to this on Sunday, just to confuse you. So yesterday, we had a party. Well, we're going to have a party, but it'll be yesterday, so we would have had a party. No, we did have a party yesterday. You know what I mean. And there are 25 of us and we're going to gather in the garden because you're allowed up to 30 outside and only six indoors. So hope it doesn't rain. We're going to have 25 people standing out in the rain. No, we've got a, a roof over the patio and we're going to put up a gazebo. So 20, <laughs> 25 people huddled under the gazebo and the, the patio roof. It's a joint birthday party because my birthday was beginning of May and my wife's was uh, April. And we didn't have a chance here with COVID and lockdown. So this Saturday or yesterday, we are having or had a party at the museum. I think it's the 18th of July, was it? I've got a bit of paper somewhere. They've got a classic car day, so I'll probably go and see that. I like the military vehicle days they have. Uh, all the jeeps and army vehicles go along. Uh, that's really interesting. But I quite like the classic car days because they've got... Last time I went, oh, a couple of years ago now... Uh, there was an MG Magnet, the car I had, plus a Hillman Minx, the 54 Minx that I had. So it's quite good. Oh, and uh, the Morris Traveller that I had. That's the, the Morris Thousand sort of estate car version with the wooden, you know, <laughs> the wooden frame and the back doors and, oh dear, the wood all rotted. But it's quite good to go and have a look. I had an Austin Westminster where it wasn't strictly mine, but I used to use it. That was a, a six-cylinder straight-six engine, and it had overdrive. And the overdrive, there was a lever under the dashboard. You lean down and pull this lever out, and it would stick it into overdrive. Um, it wasn't an automatic car, I don't think, was it? I can't remember. And with this overdrive, it was like a fifth gear. You, know, you had your four gears. It was like a fifth gear. You pull this lever out, and there's this, like a brake cable, you know, Bowden cable. It wasn't a lever. It was a like a handle that you pull and it would bung it into overdrive like a fifth gear. So that was pretty good. Having the, I think it was, was it a three-litre engine? Six-cylinder, three-litre engine. And it wasn't mine, as I say, but I did use it most of the time. And that was a brilliant car, big old thing. It was like a tank. Have a look, Austin Westminster. It was just like a tank. Another car, if from one extreme to the other, that, I'll tell you what car it was in a minute. I met this girl. Oh, here we go. You're saying, not another girl. Yes. <laughs> Another girl, I met this girl in a club and she got a bit drunk and she said to me, would you, you know, we sort of got together. She said, can you give me a lift home? And I said, I can't. I've, I've walked here this evening. I didn't bring my car. I've walked, well, I didn't walk actually, I've got a lift. 
And I said, I can't give a lift to her. Oh, it's all right. I've got my own car, she said. I'm too drunk to drive it. You can drive me home in my car. So when the club closed about two in the morning, I said, yeah, OK, I'll give you a lift home. You know, we wandered outside. She was pretty drunk. And she gave me these keys. And uh, I said, which car is yours? Oh, up here, up here. And she showed me this car. It was an MG Midget. Now, I don't know whether you remember the MG Midget, but it was a Midget. A friend of mine had the MGB sports car, which was quite nice. But this Midget thing, now I'm six foot two. In fact, back then I was probably about six foot three. She got it. She was a snippet of a thing. She got in the passenger side. I couldn't get in the driver's side. I had to sit on the road. <laughs> Picture this. I'm sitting on the road, got my feet in. And then I had to kind of slide onto the seat. Anyway, I sort of got into the car in the end. And I thought, I hope it's not far, you know, because uh, it was quite nice to drive, but it, I was really squashed in this thing, MG Midget. Anyway, I said, OK, what's the address? Thinking, you know, it's around the corner somewhere or somewhere in my hometown. Bogner, she said. Bogner? Have a look on the map. No, don't look on the map. I'm always telling you to look on the map, aren't I? It's where Butlins is, Bogner Butlins. Have you been to Butlins? I won't go on to that. And I drove to Bogner. It's half an hour away, Bogner. So I drove her to Bogner. And she said, oh, come in and have coffee. I thought, oh, all right, yeah, I suppose I better do that. And I said, how am I going to get home? She said, well, take my car. And I thought, oh, no, I've got to drive that thing back now, all the way back to, to my town. Anyway, we had coffee. And in the end, it was, it was summer. Daylight was coming. And I thought, oh, what a night this is. You know, oh, what a night. It was dreadful. I mean, she was lovely. Yeah, I got on well with her, but it was just this car of hers. Anyway, I eventually drove home in the daylight in this MG midget. I hadn't got her phone number. Luckily, I'd given her mine. And she phoned me. She said, when are you going to bring my car back? So I, I said, all right, yeah, I drove, drove back to Bogner. And then, of course, she then had to drive me home in her car. Oh, dear, it was a palaver. We did go out with each other for a few weeks, but I made sure we always went in my car. And that's the time I had the MG Magnet, which was a lot bigger. I mean, in her car, there was no room for any hanky-panky. Well, there weren't back seats. You know, <laughs> it was a two-seater thing. Well, I say two-seater. I mean, you could, you could get, you couldn't really get two people in there, two, two halves of people, really. It was that small. Talking of girls and cars, another time I met this girl and uh, she'd had a few, a few drinks. I don't know why they always seem to have a few drinks, these girls. And I don't know what happened to insurance either, because I used to drive other people's cars. I suppose I wasn't insured, was I? I don't know. Anyway, she said, I'll drive me home. And uh, she had her dad's car. It was a Jag, 4.2 litre Jag. And it was, well, almost new. They had a lot of money and she lived on this private estate. So I, there's me driving. I felt like a chauffeur driving her home in this Jag to this private estate. And I went out with her for, what was her name? Melanie. Melanie, yeah, I went out with her for a while. And uh, her, I think her dad knew that I used to drive his car. He didn't seem to mind. I suppose he didn't care. But that was nice. 4.2 litre automatic. That was, I don't like Jags. I don't like the shape of them. I don't like, didn't like the style of them in those days. I don't know what they're like now. Uh, well, no, I do know because I've seen them. They look like every other car, don't they? They just look like any other car on the road, except it says Jaguar on the back. But this was lovely to drive, power steering. Because bear in mind, a lot of the old cars back then, they didn't have power steering. 
the earlier ones didn't even have power-assisted brakes. You know, you, if you've got to stop pretty quickly, you've got to really sort of stamp on the brake. You've got to hold that pedal down. You know, you, your whole body goes straight as you cling to the steering wheel and press the, the brake pedal as hard as you can to stop the thing. <laughs> but this, it had uh, power-assisted brakes, power-assisted steering. Oh, that was a beautiful car. Wooden dashboard, of course, all, all that sort of thing. That really was nice. But of course... Things like having it serviced and repaired cost a fortune. A friend of mine who was well into cars, he had uh, he had a Jaguar E-Type. You know that E-Type, one where the, it's all bonnet, it's all engine, or all hood as you'd call it in America. It was all bonnet and just the seats at the back. <laughs> Jaguar E-Type. Uh, I didn't drive it, but I had a ride in that. Oh, dear me, that used to go. That really went, you know, you cling to the seat. No seat belts. And sort of hold on to the seat as he put his foot down. That was a, I, I say it was a nice car. I, again, I didn't like the look of it. I never did like the look of the old Jaguars or, to be honest, Rolls Royce. I, I didn't like the Rolls Royce, the shape of them. The, were they sit up and beg cars, they called them? I can't remember. Where's that expression come from? Somewhere in the 60s. I did like the look of the Rolls Royce. It's not that I, you know, I say that because I couldn't afford one. I wouldn't have wanted one. I didn't like them. And I did have a ride in a Rolls Royce more than one occasion. So, you know, I, I knew what they were like inside and out. I liked the American cars, the big bench seat in the front, huge American. Oh, lovely. I used to see them on the telly. Now and then you'd see one in real life, you know, driving around the street somewhere. and Everyone's looking at it. The American cars were fantastic. Of course, they were huge. What V12 engines, you know, kind of eight litre V12 <laughs> engine. And uh, no good in this country because of the price of petrol. In America, it's, well, it's as cheap as water, isn't it? Petrol or gas, as you call it, gasoline. But here, you, know, you drive like two miles, and you've got to fill up the tank again. It costs you a fortune to do that. But I always loved the look of the American cars. Um, in fact, I went to America and I rode in several American cars. And they, it was like being in a boat. You know, you're going along, it's like you're going up and down, perhaps the shock absorbers have gone, I don't know. But it was like being in a boat and they lurch round corners. But I love them. I still do. I just love American cars. The older ones, that is. Another thing I remember about the old British cars, you know, the wind-down windows. They didn't have electric windows then. The wind-down windows. The driver's one always worked. The passenger one probably worked. The, the If you had a four-door car, the back windows, they wouldn't wind down. They seized up because they were never used. You know, no one ever wound the back windows down. If we did, you know, if you had your car full of blokes and you're off out for the evening, no one wound the windows down in the back. Hardly ever had anyone in the back. So the windows wouldn't work. I remember this friend of mine, he wound his driver's window down and it got stuck down, it, something broke. He had to drive around with it open. And of course, it's raining and stuff. <laughs> and in the end, what did he do? Go over the car dump find the same make and model, you know, rip the door lining off, take all the window mechanism out and put it into his car. You could do that in those days. As I said, about the, the heater for my uh, Hillman Minx. You know, go and find a heater at the car, dump whatever you wanted. Uh, I had a dynamo once, I forget which car it was, dynamo packed up over the car dump, take it off one of the cars. Yeah, a couple of quid. Oh, thanks. Off you go, fit it on your car. Job done. Whereas now you can't do anything. As I said, you lift up the bonnet and uh, it's all plastic boxes, isn't it? You, you don't know where to start. One thing that I think is terrible, our car, when we bought it, you know, we have a look around, oh, yeah, we'll buy that. 
And I discovered, not luckily we hadn't had a puncture, but I discovered there was no spare wheel. Yeah, I'm looking around, looking underneath. Well, where is it? Is there anywhere in the back to lift up? Is it under the carpet, in the boot? Nope, can't find the spare wheel. There isn't one. And there's not even one of those thin wheels, you know, sort of a temporary thing just to get you to the garage. And anyway, we did have a puncture and I couldn't change the wheel. Luckily, we weren't far from home. So I drove home with this flat, you know, ruined the tyre, but uh, it was only a little way. And I had to call a bloke out. I phoned a couple of local places and I said, look, can you come out and do it? No, 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 you have to bring the car here. Anyway, I called this chap out and £120 it was. 120 quid for a tyre, which was normally about 50 or 60 quid. So where's the spare wheel? What is the point in that? Absolutely ridiculous. Oh, and there's a an electric pump thing in the back and a can of squirty stuff you meant to... I mean, I couldn't do that. The tyre got ripped. It was my fault I hit the kerb. But, uh, yeah, what, what are you supposed to do? And what is the worrying thing when we... We don't now, but we used to take the kids, the grandchildren, on holiday to the Isle of Wight every year. What if you're down a country lane somewhere and it's night time, you know, we've been out to a, a whatever, a firework display like they have or wherever. You're coming home, it's dusk, it's getting dark, the kids are tired and you get a puncher down some country lane. What are you meant to do? Get on, the, on your mobile phone. Who do you phone? And if you've got a breakdown cover thing like we have, they don't all cover punchers. So you've got to be careful. So again, the old cars, you've got a jack, you got your wheel brace, your spare wheel, all that. Oh, brilliant. I suppose these days people don't have punctures as often as they did then because the car tyres used to have inner tubes. They don't now. They're tubeless, aren't they? Tubeless, as in tubular bells. Well, not quite. So if you do have breakdown cover, just check that you are covered for a puncture because, I mean, they don't carry spare wheels, do they? They can't change a tyre. I suppose the breakdown people would have to take your wheel off, take it to a garage, have the puncher repaired, bring the wheel back and fit it to your car. I mean, it's all such a palaver when all you need to do is, if you had a spare wheel, it would take 10 minutes. I don't know. I suppose that's progress. Is that progress? Okay, I think I'll end it here. Email me if you want to. Raiserants at protonmail.com. Raiserants at protonmail.com. Email me with your experience of cars and all the things that went wrong with them back in the old days. I must admit, they did go wrong a lot. They were like the old TVs. Uh, when I was a TV engineer, plenty of work. You know, TVs went wrong every five minutes, a bit like cars. People used to do their own uh, sort of Sunday morning repairs, didn't they? Plugs, points, top up the battery fluid. You don't do that now. Batteries are sealed, aren't they? You don't top up the battery fluid anymore. You, know, you check the water and oil. Well, mind you, people don't even do that, I don't think. Best to check the tyre pressures and stuff like that. But uh, in the old days, as I say, at the weekend, you'd wash and polish the car, oil, water, uh, check the brake fluid, check the tightness of the fan belt. You know, you did a, a, a good check on everything, make sure it was all in proper running order because they did break down a lot. Happy days. I've got to say, I hope the warmer weather is going to come soon. We're heading for the end of May slowly, so it's got to warm up soon, hasn't it? <laughs> I shall see you all next, uh, well, next Wednesday for the midweek message and then next Sunday for the next podcast episode. Take care. Bye-bye for now.